It's great to be with you today. Thanks for being here. If you were here last week, it's an awesome time to be able to get together. It was just, it was, it was something that I enjoyed way more than maybe even I expected to. I know that might sound strange, but you know, the idea of, of preaching out in the direct sun, you know, might not be my, what I would sign up for all the time, but it was awesome to be able to gather together. Uh, and it was just a wonderful event. So thanks for being there. Um, you may remember from my uh, many different career paths uh, that at one point, and I would say even still, I would consider myself to be an entrepreneur. I, I've started and, and grown and sold uh, several different businesses. And, and part of what that means, at least for me, is when I would start something new, I would want to go and find people that I could really look up to, that, that have you know, gone before me and created things that I'm interested in. And not only to learn how they did it, you know, what the actual steps were and all that kind of stuff, but also just to meet the person that did it, right? Because I think in some respect, we all kind of look up to, whether you call them heroes or something like that, uh, we all look up to people that have accomplished maybe what we're interested in. And the idea is, well, if I could get close to that person, then I might be able to learn something from that person. Uh, and, and so I was expecting great things. There was this, this guy in, in my area. He had built this, this, I would call it a home building empire uh, from, from the ground up. And we had started this company that could greatly benefit this particular thing. And so I finally had a reason to have a meeting with this guy. And I was so excited and I wanted to, oh, I was just ready to learn. And I thought, well, we'll talk about the, our stuff, but then I'm just gonna be able to absorb some of this, uh, some of this, I don't, I don't even know what you, personality, character, whatever it is, I, maybe I'll inherit some of that just by being in this guy's presence. And so I go to the meeting and we're sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And in, in he comes, doesn't shake my hand, doesn't look me in the eye. Well, the entire time that we're doing our presentation, he sat there in a chair. This is one of the most awkward things I've ever been a part of. Sat there in the chair, facing almost 90 degrees away from me, uh, didn't make eye contact, reached in his pocket, pulled out a big handful of coins and started doing this and playing with coins. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so it just continues, it continues, and, and, and we get done, and the, I'm waiting for some kind of question. This is a question he asked me. Who is your competition? And I said, well, nobody. I mean, this, we, we just came up with this. We came up with this, and we came to you because we thought it would benefit you the most. And he looked, this is the only time he made eye contact with me, he looked at me and said, I will start a company within a week that will do this better and cheaper than you, and you will be out of business. And I'm like, huh. And then he slammed his hand down on the table, stood up and screamed in my face, I am not impressed. And then he walked out the door and slammed the door as hard as he could. All right, so I, after sitting there and stunned silence for several minutes, uh, I guess the meeting's over. So I gathered up my stuff and now I'm trying to find my way, you know, back out of the building. So I headed out the building and, and on my way, I passed this conference room and I am not making this up. On the way out the door, I'm in the hallway and I hear all this yelling and screaming and I'm wondering what is going on. And I look into the conference room and through the, peer through the little window there. And this guy who I'd just been meeting with is now standing on top of the table 
pointing his finger and screaming at a bunch of people that are sitting in this conference room. Now, what I should say is the reason I was so excited about meeting him is I had seen him on TV. He had, he had won an award for this program. It's actually housed right in Des Moines at Drake University. It's called Character Counts. Character counts, right? I wrote these down so we can all be on the same page here. These are the, the six pillars of character. Trustworthiness, respect, responsibility, fairness, caring, and citizenship. So now it's confession time. So I will admit to you that as I finally found the exterior door, after experiencing all this, I opened the door and as my foot crossed the threshold, I screamed out, character counts! And then I went to my car. And... <laughs> but the point is that there is, I just could not reconcile the discrepancy between the exterior, the presentation of this person, the award-winning character counts, the, this image that was, this person had portrayed, uh, and what I had experienced inside of kind of the regular everyday environment. I could not reconcile those things. And so as we're talking about what's going on in John chapter eight, I want us especially to be thinking about this today because there is a difference between who people present themselves to be and who they actually are. We know this to be true and we get fooled all the time but even maybe more pointedly, we can get so good at our own PR, our own press, that we start to believe things about ourselves that aren't true as well. But the reality is, just because I might be good enough to make you think I'm something, and I might be able to even be good enough at saying and doing the, the saying the right things to make myself think that I'm something I'm not, doesn't actually make any of that true, right? And so today, this is a, this is a hard text. I'm going to be honest with you. This, this is a, it's a hard text, and it's an arresting text. We're going to finish John chapter 8 today. And there are many things in this that, uh, that we could easily point to and say, wow, Jesus is really, really being offensive and really being very harsh here. This is not the, the lovey-dovey little bunny rabbit Jesus that we often try to make up in our mind. No, it's not. Because that kind of Jesus is not the kind of Jesus that actually saves us. We need to be told the truth. We need the light to shine in our darkness. And without that, we are hopelessly lost. And so Jesus is doing that here. But I want to make sure that we understand He's not just interacting with this particular group of people. This just happens to be the context that he's interacting with these people. And so we might not be able to relate exactly to that, but he is talking directly to us just as much as he is anyone else. And so, so keep that in mind as we go, because the reality is all throughout the Bible, but especially in this particular section of scripture that we've been going through and, and what we'll talk about today, the truth is that there are believers, true believers, there are unbelievers, and then there are make-believers. Okay? Believers, unbelievers, 
and make-believers. And if we pay attention to the way that Jesus continues to interact with people, all throughout all four of the Gospels, this is true, but also even beyond that, in the epistles and the other books of the New Testament, we see this same thing. Jesus and those then who are preaching Jesus after, uh, they are all very concerned about people who believe that they are believers, but aren't. Those are the most dangerous folks because we can tell ourselves whatever we want to tell ourselves about. And now to, in today's day and age, we have the technology, we can present any kind of image about ourselves that we want, right? And, and people might believe that. We see this play out on social media all the time, those kinds of things. We, we can interact with people, we can put on a good show, but in the end, are we true believers? Are we unbelievers? Or are we make-believers? And Jesus loves true believers, he loves unbelievers, and he loves make-believers. But he loves all of us, no matter where you fall in that. He loves all of us enough to not leave us in whatever that state is, but to come to us and to tell us the truth, even if we don't like it. And so that's what I want us to think about. It's not just addressing this particular group of Jewish people in this particular scripture. This is addressing you and me and everybody. All of us are faced with this difficulty. Uh, but before we read this, and it's kind of long, so you're going to have to hold tight. But uh, as we uh, get into this, let me pray for us before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracle of your grace and your mercy. We know we don't deserve it, Lord. We know that when it comes to you, you are true. You are light. You are the only hope that we have. And so we invite you now, Lord, in these moments to come and have your way in our hearts that we might be changed forever. We wait with great expectation to see what you're going to do here this morning, how you're going to change us and raise us from death to new life in you. We know that you are the only one that can offer us this true new life in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to... We're going to be looking specifically at John chapter 8, verses 31 to 59. We'll go back and grab verse 30, because I'll tell you why in a little bit here. But I'm going to read this all the way through, uh, so we can kind of get an overall perspective of what's going on here. And then I want to see how that actually applies to each of us, no matter where believers, unbelievers, make-believers, all of us. Let's, let's see how this goes. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. 
well, we're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him saying, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, well, now we know you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and he was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Okay, <sighs> pretty tough one, huh? I mean, it's tough. And remember, Jesus is doing this, not because he's mean, not because he's looking to uh, antagonize people for sport because he needs something to do. He's addressing these people because he cares for them. He loves them, just like he loves you and me, and he's addressing us as well. But, but here's this, this special thing. Again, this is true for all of us, but Jesus is talking to a specific group of people here. If you remember uh, last week in verse 30, it ended. Remember this, even as he spoke, this was, he was teaching in the temple courts, even as he spoke, many believed in him. Okay, so we're talking about people who say that they believe in Jesus. They've heard enough of something from Jesus that they're intrigued. They want to be with him. They, they want to know more about him. Uh, they come into contact with him. But then what happens after that? Well, Jesus starts saying, okay, so you believe in me. Great. Let's see how far that belief actually goes. And so he starts talking to him about things that are very, very important, very, very sensitive. Abby was just talking about, uh, well, I, I give all this stuff to God, but I, I just hold a couple things back for myself. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting at. Now, contextually, it's, it's different in these circumstances, but still it's the same, not only for them, but for you and I as well. 
Because we've already seen this pattern of people saying that they believe in Jesus and then changing their mind and walking away. Remember back in chapter six, bunch of people, thousands of people. Jesus was at, was at the height of his popularity at that point. Everybody wanted to be close to Jesus. Why? Well, because the miracles he was doing was benefiting them. And so they, they were like, okay, this Jesus guy, we're all in. We believe in him. Well, then when Jesus opened his mouth and started telling them the truth, not only about himself, but also about them, well, they didn't want to hear that. And so it said, uh, they, they many turned back and didn't follow him anymore. So what does it mean to say they believed if they then turn their back and walk away? Well, for us, don't we have the same temptation? Don't we say, well, Jesus, I'm all in and have some sort of unspoken condition attached to that? Well, I'm all in as long as you do it my way, as long as you give me what I want, as long as it benefits me the way that I want it to benefit me, then I'm in. But if not, then I'm out. Well, that's, that's fair weather faith. And fair weather faith is false faith. Fair weather faith is false faith. That's a free one for you if you want to go ahead and try to say that. It is a tongue twister. Um, it's even more fun if you actually grab your tongue and say it. But uh, if you do it, I promise then maybe you will remember it. Because it's true, we need this reminder. We need to remember that is our faith just sort of conditional on, well, am I getting what I want? Or am I not getting what I want? Because that is not faith at all. Make no mistake, that is not faith. That is a transactional consumer approach to a relationship with Jesus, which basically amounts to just give me what I want and no one gets hurt, right? Jesus will not be held hostage by our fair weather faith. He will tell us the truth and it will oftentimes be very arresting and very hard for us to accept, will we turn our back or not? And so what, what honestly then does true faith look like? If, if fairweather faith is false faith, then what does true faith look like? Well, look at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So here we see that true faith is tied directly to the words of Jesus. And guess what? That also then means obedience to the words of Jesus. It doesn't mean this sort of selective, well, I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It means we have to accept the whole truth and nothing but the truth when it comes to Jesus. And so what he's saying is that in order for us to even know what true freedom is, what real freedom is, we have to know it's tied directly to the truth of who Jesus is. There is no truth that we can have that is even possible without accepting the truth about who Jesus is. Everything else will be nothing but fool's gold. Okay, so so keep that in mind. But this by no means is easy, right? Uh, Keeping my commands, keeping following me, holding to my teaching, however you want to say it. The, the truth is that 
When we are presented with the opportunity to obey or to turn our back and do it our own way, we oftentimes turn our back and say, well, it was fun while it lasted, Jesus, but uh, I've got it from here. Thank you very much. Because being obedient is often inconvenient. Being obedient is often inconvenient. We all know this. We all want to be our own boss. I mean, hey, we're living in America, right? Freedom. We want autonomy. We want independence. We want to be in charge. And I want to do it, as Frank Sinatra would say, my way, right? I want to do it my way. But if that is our if, the, if that is the totality of our understanding of what freedom is, then we've missed the point. We've missed the point. We, we have a false definition of freedom because it's only in Jesus and it's only by accepting, receiving, believing, and following Jesus, the real, the true Jesus, that we are finally set free. Set free for what? What are we set free for? Not to do whatever we want. What are we set free for? We're set free to grow into who God has created us to be. We are free finally to be useful to our neighbors by loving our neighbors and by telling them the good news about this Jesus who not only came for me, but came for you as well. And so this good news is the freedom of Jesus. If we accept anything less than that, if we accept some other definition that we have manufactured or created so that we can feel good about ourselves, then it's really nothing more than an illusion. But we don't like that. And so, what do we do? Well, we try to wiggle out of it. We try to think, well, there's gotta be a way for me to make an argument. So we like to argue with Jesus and we come up with objections. And that's what we saw right here in the scripture together is when their belief is tested. Well, you believe in me? Great. What about this? What about this? What about this? It gets more and more and more and more uncomfortable, more heated, more direct. Because Jesus is really plumbing the depths of what do you mean by you believe? Well, Jesus already knows. He knows whether how no matter how great of a smokescreen we might be able to come up with. Jesus knows the truth in our heart. We cannot hide that from him and neither could these folks. And so they start making arguments. And I want to look at three of those arguments because there are three ways that we argue with Jesus just as much. Okay. So the first is that uh, they say they have the correct family history. Okay. They're tying themselves to their ancestors who ultimately lead back to Abraham. This whole, remember, this whole discussion starts around, well, who is Abraham? Why do we take Abraham seriously? What claims has Abraham made that we can sort of latch on to? That, that, that's what Jesus is, is pushing toward. And uh, Abraham, if you remember, all the way back in Genesis uh, 15, I think, Genesis 15, uh, Abraham believed God in other words, believed the promises that God made, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that's very churchy words, but what we really mean by that is because Abraham believed the truth about who God was and what God promised, that set him free then to grow into who God created him to be. It wasn't by his works. It was by his faith that he became God's child. 
That, that will be important for us to remember as we continue to go through this. And so in these, this particular context right here, this conversation, these folks are saying, well, we don't have anything to be set free from because Abraham is our ancestor. And so we kind of, because he's good, we're good. I mean, that, that's essentially uh, the whole thing. God was pleased with Abraham. Abraham is our ancestor. Therefore, we are also somehow then the beneficiaries of God's favor. God already freed us because we're free based on what he did with Abraham which is basically what they say in verse 33, they, they answered, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now you might be wondering as we've gone through this journey, especially in light of the fact that we're talking about, this is the close of the feast of tabernacles, which is dedicated to celebrating how God set the captives free and led them in the wilderness. So what are they talking about here? We've never been slaves to anyone. Of course, matter of fact, in this particular case, technically they are enslaved by the Romans, different circumstances, but ultimately they're not talking about political slavery or some sort of governmental type system or anything like that. They're talking about spiritual freedom. They're saying, hey, we're already free because of what we understand about Abraham. We came from the right place and therefore we don't need whatever this freedom is you're talking about, Jesus. We've already got that thing. Thanks, but no thanks. But they can't even see what they need to be freed from. They have no idea what Jesus is talking about. They think they're all good. Does that sound familiar? Oftentimes we like to imagine, I'm as free as I can be. But the reality is that Jesus is talking about a different kind of bondage. Look at verse 34. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We can't see the bondage of our own sin. Without coming out of the darkness and into the light, we wander around chained up to our sin. We cannot get out of it. We need someone to come and rescue us. Someone to come and tell us the truth about our real condition. That's what Jesus is doing here. If, if, if you sin, you are a slave to sin. And we know this is true because what does sin do? Let's say we do something that we know falls short of the glory of God. And then we say to ourselves, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then it turns into us trying to say to ourselves, why well, sure I'm doing a good job because I didn't do that thing anymore. Sin will eat our lunch. It will continue to come. It will continue to persecute us. It will continue to bind us. We will continue to be in bondage all the while with this illusion of freedom in our mind. But, but no, Jesus is saying, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. Someone has to step in and set us free from what we oftentimes can't even see ourselves. And this is not something that we can rely on something someone else did to do for us, if it's anyone other than Jesus, okay? But we sometimes think like, well, I grew up in church. I went to church with my parents. My parents were good Christians. Well, my, my grandparents, well, they were really faithful Christians. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of in the club based on that. 
You run into people like this all the time, don't you? M maybe you've said some of those things. Well, I, uh, I may not be a believer, but I still kind of think maybe it counts because other people I know that have either been my parents, grandparents, whatever, well, well they believed and they trusted Jesus. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of hoping that's good enough. The reality is that trusting the promise of Jesus, it is what fuels true faith. When it comes to true faith, there is only one fuel, and that is trusting and following in the true hope and the light of Jesus. So when it comes to this, this whole argument about, well, we're all good because Abraham was good. Well, that does not work. And look at uh, Paul. Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter nine. It's actually in several places in Romans. You should read that whole thing for yourself. But in particular, listen to what it says in Romans nine, uh, verse eight. It is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Children of the promise. You and I have the opportunity to be children of the promise because the promise is being made to us in the person of Jesus. He comes to us and he tells us the truth about us and he tells us the truth about himself. And then we will either believe in him as he draws us to himself or we will choose to plug our ears and say, nah, I would rather be a child of the flesh than the promise. I don't like it. Well, that gets into a lot of religious types of arguments because then we have to start asking, well, what is this? Jesus is making some very exclusive claims here. Uh, and we know that this, this tends to be very offensive. Uh, well, can Jesus possibly be the only way? Where does he get off with this? And so they pop this argument out next. This is the second one. They think they can get to God without Jesus. Well, we have an entire world full of people, many of whom believe exactly the same thing. Well, Jesus is just a way a version of the truth. And so we continue to live a lot of times in this self-assurance or self-delusion thinking, well, there's, there's got to be another way. I mean, that, that, that can't possibly be the thing. And, and, and so they're looking at Jesus saying, well, what even gives you the right to make such a claim? Th th this, is, this is crazy. They want to argue with Jesus. We want to argue with Jesus. This, this doesn't feel right. And so now keep in mind, they don't really know or at least accept, maybe they've heard, but they do not accept the origins of where Jesus even came from. Remember, miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they think all right, this guy's father is this Joseph dude. Uh, and at this point, Joseph has been dead for we don't know how long. But they know what they, what they think is true about Jesus, which is, well, Mary had Jesus before they were married. So that's no good. So they're trying to make this, they're trying to disqualify Jesus based on a religious claim saying, look at uh, verse at the end of verse 41, we are not illegitimate children. They protested in case you need clarification. That's an insult. They're saying you are an illegitimate person. Therefore, 
uh, why should we listen to you? And then they say, the only father we have is God himself. In other words, they believe that they can get to God without going through Jesus. And Jesus is desperately trying to clarify this for them. And that's what make believers do, right? That we might be in that category ourselves. We might be saying, oh yeah, Jesus is good. But if we're thinking of Jesus as more of a, you know, mascot or uh, somebody that's sitting on the sidelines cheering us on while we're doing everything great, well, then we've missed the point, okay? And so Jesus is saying, no, that you can't get to God any other way. But, but even more damaging and more offensive, uh, look at verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I have not come here on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Look at verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. In other words, they want to kill him. And so he is saying, hey, based on what you believe, based on what you trust, based on who you're following, you are not one of God's children. You are a child of the devil himself. That is basically the most offensive thing that these people could have ever been told. And it's really, it might not sound like that, but it's really the most offensive thing that we could ever be told. And so here we are confronted with this truth that Jesus is telling us, and we don't want to hear it. But keep in mind this little fact. Jesus is not making these claims for his benefit. He's making claims for our benefit. The claims Jesus makes come from his desire to claim you, to claim you, to claim me claim them. That's why he's telling them the truth. He loves them enough to tell them the truth. His desire is to save them, not to condemn them. Remember, we covered that in John chapter 3, uh, verse 16, 17, 18. But do you remember the other little part about that? Jesus said, if you don't believe in me, you're condemned already. There's no middle ground. And we oftentimes like to live our lives as if we're standing somewhere in the middle, taking in the evidence, considering the claims, making an evaluation, and then spitting out at the end whether or not we're going to sign on the line. Well, I'll tell you right now, that is the recipe for fair weather faith, is it not? Which is no faith at all. Their ears are closed because they've plugged them. Why are their ears plugged? They're they're plugged with their own self-delusions. They're plugged with their own self-assurance. Their eyes are blind in a spiritual sense. Their eyes are blind because of the pride they have. So where are you today in your relationship with Jesus? Are you a believer, a true believer? Are you an unbeliever? Or maybe have you wandered into this area of being a make-believer? trusting Jesus with a big asterisk at the end. Well, the last argument they try is, uh, and this one probably sounds familiar, they believe they are morally superior. Okay? They believe they're morally superior. Jesus 
was obviously not on board with any of these ways that they're trying to wiggle out of this. Uh, look at uh, verse 48. The, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? That's another insult. Remember, we've talked about Samaritans. That, that is hurling an insult. That's basically playing off of this illegitimate child uh, motif here they've got going on. Because we all know that if, if things aren't going well, our temptation is to get angry. And then if we don't have a good argument to make, we then resort to making insults. Okay. Uh, there is no better incubator for that than social media. Uh, how, how many comments does it take before there's a death threat? What, maybe three. Uh, okay. All as much as I don't like Facebook, by the way, <laughs> Facebook only reveals what's already in us. It only brings out what's already there. We didn't become this because of Facebook. Facebook put a big high candle power light to the condition of our soul. And if we continue to walk in that kind of blindness and not come into the true light of Christ, well, then we will continue to be in the very bondage that Jesus is trying to tell these folks, look, you are in bondage. I know you look and you don't see the chains, but trust me, you are in bondage to your sin. But they think, well, he has no right to tell me that. And so they try to make a case for uh, moral superiority. And they, they even say this, well, they said it in verse 53, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? But Jesus then reminds them he's not speaking on his own behalf. He's speaking the words of the father. This, this God that they're claiming is their father Jesus is saying, you don't understand. You don't belong to him because if you did, you would accept me. You would receive me. You would believe me. You would follow me. You would keep my word. But the truth is that that reveals another dimension of our bondage to our own pride and ego and self-interest because we have an insatiable appetite to glorify ourselves. Remember when I said earlier about when it comes to sin, we have this, this way of saying, well, I, I haven't done that in a while, so I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Well, what do we do then? We're just writing ourselves, uh, we might as well, matter of fact, let me tell you this. This same guy, now that, I, that I've talked about earlier, character counts guy, I forgot about this till right now. This guy, called one day to the office, because ultimately he didn't put us out of business, but uh, he, he, and they used us. We, we provided lots of stuff for him, but he called one day and, and told me that he wanted us to make up an award and give it to him. <laughs> and that they would be more than willing to pay for it. Uh, but the, you know, we were going to come at such and such time, uh, at such and, su and the TV cameras were going to be there and we were going to give him an award. And of course I told him, I'm not doing it. That didn't go well either. Anyway, so we have, this, we have this propensity to chase after our own glory. We want the glory. We want the goodies. We want to be the ones that have the power and the influence and elevate ourselves. And Jesus is saying, in, even in his own person, he is not there to glorify himself. He is there to glorify the Father. And that is something that even Abraham knew. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. In other words, when he 
believed the promise of God, God, whether or not it was a, a vision or, or whether or not it was just something in his heart that changed, Abraham even knew looking out into the future that this promise of God was way bigger than him. It wasn't about him. It was about this amazing plan that God has. But when we're confronted with that kind of reality, we might protest too. Look at verse 57. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? In other words, you are absolutely out of your mind. They've already called him demon-possessed. They've already said he was a Samaritan. They've already claimed he, that they have moral superiority over him. They already claim that they have a better religion uh, that gets them to God. They don't need Jesus. These are all frighteningly true things about us a lot of the time as well. But then here in the biggest, most epic mic drop moment in the entire history of the world, Jesus pumps out here and says in verse 58, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. He's saying, I am God in the flesh. I am the one. All this claiming you've been doing about how uh, God is your father. Well, guess what? I am God in the flesh. And they cannot accept this. Can you? They cannot accept this. And so look what they do. Verse 59. At this... They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Okay? So their response to this claim of Jesus was, he's got to go. We got to kill this guy. Is that your response to Jesus? What is, what is your response to these claims that Jesus makes about himself? Because he comes to you right now, right here, right now and says, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Will you follow him? Will you trust him? Will you receive him? Have you believed and received this truth about who Jesus is? Or are you a make-believer? Well, I like a lot of the things about Jesus, but... Mm, when it comes to really following him, jury's still out. I might take a flyer on this Jesus thing, but that's not what's happening here. The strength of what Jesus is doing is overwhelming these people with truth. And he overwhelms us with his truth as well. How, how will we respond? And, and if we claim to be true believers, do our lives actually reflect that? Does the fruit in our life point people to Jesus? Does it, in other words, does the fruit in our life glorify Jesus, glorify God, or does it glorify us? Are we elevating ourselves? Now, at the end of this, uh, each of us has to make this choice. It's nothing that can be chosen for you. And yet, Jesus has already made his choice very clear. He wants to be in a relationship with you. Not to condemn you, but to tell you some hard truths about yourself in order to save you. 
So will you let him into your life? Or is there any room in your life for Jesus? We are very busy people. And we went through this quick when I read the scripture, but I want to go back and just pick this out in verse 37, the end of verse 37. Jesus says, yet you are looking for a way to kill me. Here it is. Because you have no room for my word. Do we have room in our lives for the word of God? Because the word of God reveals the truth about his son. And if we think that there's another way or we think that, well, I'll get to it when I can, then we are missing out on this life of true freedom, of becoming who God has created us to be. Do you have room for his word? Because his word is truth and his truth will set you free. When you've been set free in Jesus, then and only then are you free indeed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you that your spirit continues to work miracles every day, every hour, every moment. Lord, we are in awe of how you hold the world and all that exists in the palm of your hand. And so, Lord, right now we surrender to you and ask you to, to lead us and guide us to continue to show us the truth about who you are, that we might be forever changed, that the old may be put to death and the new may be raised to new life in you. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that you willingly gave your life to save us. I know of no greater promise than eternity with you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.